Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday podcast. My name is Greg, and we are currently going through a series in Matthew, and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org, and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I get the privilege this morning of teaching out of Matthew chapter 4. Uh, before we get into that, if you know me at all, you know that I'm very influenced by music. I love it. Uh, I love to lead worship here. And there's a song that I wanted to start this message out with. Uh, I'm not actually going to sing it. Um, but there's a song, there's a group that I started listening to about five or six years ago that, that has had a huge impact in my life. Their name is Citizens. Uh, if you've never heard of them, I'm not too surprised. You probably won't find them on K-Love, but they are a group that writes a lot of songs that, that really get at the heart of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And one of their songs is called Relent. And I want to read to you a couple of the verses of this song as we start this morning. If you resonate with any of this, um, <laughs> I hope it's a blessing to you. If I gained the world, would it be worth the price? To work these hands to death and not be satisfied. If every effort brought another sleepless night, I'd be so tired. I've strived enough to know that this divide could never be repaired through countless second tries. Still, I stay the course, avoiding what is right. Now I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. I have traded cherished truth for worthless lies, raging through the earth for treasure I couldn't find, wallowed in the mud for nothing but my pride, and I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Does anyone resonate with any of this? Isaiah 53, 6 Gives us, gives us really why this is true in so many of our lives. Whether you knew it this morning when you came in here, Isaiah 53, 6a says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We know that our way is messed up. Some days we feel insane because we've been trying the same stuff over and over and continue to experience the same results. There's really two things talked about in Proverbs. There's two extremes talked about in Proverbs. There's the foolish way, and there's the way that is wise in our own eyes. So first, some of us in here are fools. We have heard enough to know that there is life-giving truth available for us right here in this book. If you have a Bible, you know there's life-giving truth in it. But we love our ignorance, and we aren't really upset enough with our sin to do anything about it. So we go on avoiding God and his word and continue to fall in the same traps that have perplexed our way from the beginning of our lives to this point. 
Conversely, some of us are wise in our own eyes. We perceive that the world is broken, and God has placed us in it to be the cure. So we ravenously study his word. We develop pious lifestyles. We hold fast to doctrines developed by others that we respect, or doctrines we, haven't, or doctrines we have developed ourselves based on our interpretation of Scripture. When those around us don't conform to our way, we may get angry with them or write them off as a lost cause, breaking off communication, telling our other loyal followers of all the ways that we were right and they were wrong. Then we hit our knees and thank God that we aren't like that disobedient ex-disciple, and we ask him to send along others who will conform to our ways so that we can continue building our utopia. So these two ways, the way of the fool, the way of the wise in their own eyes, I just want a quick show of hands. Do you know anyone that falls into this camp? If you know someone that falls into one of these camps, please keep your hand up. That is as unanimous a reaction as I have ever gotten to a question. You know someone like this. So here's my next question. If everyone's hand was up, is it likely that you might fall into one of these camps? <laughs> There's some more hands going up. I'm not asking you to put your hands up. Oh, you're, you're allowed to, and I'm, I'm glad that you have the boldness to put your hand up, Calvin. <laughs> Which one are you? You're wise in his own eyes. All right. Both ways are corrupt. I know the way of both of these because I have practiced them both. I am the fool. I am the one that has been wise in my own eyes. I've walked both paths. Both have led me to just emptiness. Nothing. At the end of it, all I'm left with is either my broken sin or I'm left with my pride. Neither leave me with the right way. There is a better way. His name is Jesus. So we've been in the book of Matthew for the past couple of months. Last week, we looked at Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You remember how long he was there? Forty days and forty nights. Did he have any food while he was there? No. So he said he was hungry. He was tempted by the devil. But after that forty days spending time with the Spirit, Jesus was led by the Word of God to fend off all the temptations of the devil. So that brings us to today. Today we get to look at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We'll look at three things that Jesus does. First, he's going to call us away from our broken way of sin. Second, he's going to command us to follow him into his way of life. And third, we'll get to look at how he leads the way and restores the broken. So we're going to first dig into the text within the context of Jesus' day. So we're going to preach this in, in largely a digging into it, looking at what it would have been like for that culture, and then we'll end by applying this to our lives today. So you ready to get into it with me? All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. If you're not already there, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind us as we look into this first point that Jesus calls us away from our broken way of sin. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting that the response to John's arrest is for Jesus to withdraw into Galilee. Remember, he is doing the Father's will. He's being led by the Spirit. And fulfilling two prophecies by withdrawing into this sea village of Capernaum. First, if we look at what John prophesies about himself and Jesus, we're talking about John the Baptist, when he's talking with his disciples, they're saying, is this the one that we should follow or not? And John goes on this incredibly humble passing of the torch passage. If you want to read it later, it's in John 3, 26 through 36. And in the middle of this passage in verse 30, John prophesies, he must increase, but I must decrease. What a humble message. I mean, this, this man, according to Jesus, was the greatest man born of a woman. And here he is, knowing that the Father's will is for him to be phased out and for Jesus to step into the light in his public ministry. And so now it makes sense why John was arrested when you look at it from God's plan. Secondly, he goes to Capernaum to fill the prophecy, to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. So at this point, Matthew has been really purposeful about showing us which prophecies have been fulfilled through Jesus, right? There have been prophecies from Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and now two more from Isaiah, all fulfilled through the man Jesus Christ and through the messenger who came to proclaim Jesus Christ. Church, we cannot miss what's happening here. All the evidence, the genealogy connecting him back to David and Abraham, the fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament, they all point to one thing. Jesus of Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth, and now Capernaum. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. Do you believe that this morning? So Jesus is the Messiah. That means he is the king in the kingdom of heaven. And we have... I can't move past this point without knowing that at least some of you in here believe that. Jesus is the king. We have to be there right now in our hearts in order for any of the rest of Matthew to really resonate with us. If we're not submitted to him wholly as the king, who cares about the Sermon on the Mount? What's it going to do for you? If you're sitting there skeptically just going, yeah, I'm not sure I want to believe in this guy. I'm not sure what I, if I want to follow what he says. We have to submit ourselves to the revealed king of heaven as he's been revealed in this book of Matthew. The first message that the Messiah preaches repeats the very message that John the Baptist proclaimed in Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Merriam-Webster defines the word repent in this way. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. That is such a delicate way of saying, your life is messed up. (laughs) 
And repenting is you saying, my way, my life is messed up. As we were looking through this as a, as a group of elder candidates on Tuesday morning, uh, Tony got up and did something pretty funny that has stuck with me to this point. Repentance, Tony was like, repentance doesn't look like this. We're running along and we go, hey, Jesus, come alongside me. That's not what repentance looks like. And so he went, repentance looks like this. Oh, my way's screwed up. And now I'm going this way. And that's what Jesus is calling them to do is repent. The way that you are going is broken. The way that you are going is of the world. You need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see what he's preaching here? To the fool, or in Jesus' day, that would have been, the Jews definitely would have looked at Gentiles as fools, for sure. Uh, but there were a bunch of Jews in name only also in Jesus' crowd. They probably would have resonated as a fool as well. And this message of repentance, it probably made sense to them. They know their life is a mess, and they would love to see it get fixed if it was easy. But to turn from their folly, dedicate themselves to a pure way, that seems really hard. So the fool knows he has a decision to make, but as long as he stays a fool, he probably won't make it. To the wise in their own eyes, however, in Jesus' day, who did that include? Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, zealots, devout Jews that were in the crowd. This message of repentance really cuts to the heart and either doesn't make sense to them or it's repulsive to them. We know this by the many examples that we get in the Gospels. You remember first, uh, two weeks ago, Matt Scott was up here preaching and he was preaching John the Baptist's message. And what did John the Baptist call this group of people that were wise in their own eyes? He called them a brood of vipers. He was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He rebuked them for their presumption that being physical children of Abraham was enough to justify them before God. Another example we see in John chapter 3 is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He's also a member of the Pharisees. And he comes to Jesus by night to make sure he was on the pathway to heaven, right? Like, just making sure, Jesus, like, I'm, I'm doing things right, right? And uh, Jesus confounds him by saying he must be born again by the Spirit. His way must change because his way is informed by his flesh. And he must be born again by the Spirit so his way is now informed by the Holy Spirit. Finally, consider the rich young ruler from Luke chapter 18. His question to Jesus is, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, just... You know the law and the prophets. He gives them a few of the commandments, you know. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Um, a couple more that I can't remember offhand. But he gives them these commandments, and this guy looks back at him and says, Teacher, I've kept these things from my youth. Now Jesus, of course, knows he hasn't. But he looks at him and he says, Well, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then come follow me. He cuts to his heart all of these examples that we just gave. All these guys, these fat or Pharisees, these Sadducees, uh, these examples in the other Gospels, they're all reliant upon their own strength. They're trying to get there through their own willpower. The message of repentance really cuts at the heart 
of self-reliance. So why do they need to repent? Jesus says next, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we don't get a whole lot, um, we don't get a whole lot here in verse 17 talking about the kingdom of heaven. So this crowd might have gone, why is that worth my repentance? Well, the message is repent, and you'll find out. So for some in the crowd, this message hit home. We know that because there are disciples that follow Jesus. They turned their hearts to God, repented of their way, and desired change. But now what? For the fool, does their repentance involve an about-face, again, where now they get serious about Scripture, prayer, synagogue attendance? I mean, is, is that what's going to happen? For the wise in their own eyes, are, are they going to do an about-face where they confess, my way isn't right, I become a God in my own eyes. I need to humble myself and give up my self-righteousness. Those are good first steps for each of those groups of people. But we need to look at what the next step is. Because what so many of us, what so many of us do, we say sorry, we, we go, we don't like what we just did. But we don't do anything next, Right? That's not true repentance. True repentance has a follow-up step. And the follow-up step takes us to our next point. In the next five verses, we're going to look at Jesus' command to follow him. So we repent of our sins. Now we look at following Jesus. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Now, something that jumped out at me, I, I thought it was funny. I, maybe you'll think it's funny, too. I work for my dad, so I know what it's like to be someone whose dad is their boss. And I think it's funny that Simon and Andrew, they're just fishing. They're casting their nets into the sea. James and John are mending nets. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Dad's getting to do all the fishing, and the boys are in the boat mending nets. It all makes sense to me. <laughs> so four disciples here are introduced to us. Uh, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They're casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Reading John 1, 35 through 42, we actually know that this isn't the men's first encounter with Jesus. So that's interesting because if you were just going at it from Matthew's gospel, it appears that way. But we know that Andrew had been following John the Baptist and he had gone and sought out his brother, Simon, and told him that he had found the Messiah. So it is likely that these men have actually been following Jesus for some time now. But the following has been a little bit different. They're still working their collective profession as fishermen, which was likely a dominant source of income for this region by the Sea of Galilee. So if these men were already familiar with Jesus, 
We know Andrew and Simon had already been following him. It stands to reason that they have gone through step one, they've repented, and step two, they've, they've been following Jesus. These two calls, they are universal. So they go out to you this morning, repent and follow Jesus. The one who seeks to go in the good way of Jesus must do these two things. But this call to Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it's different than the universal call. How do we know that? Because these guys, look at their immediate steps. And this is a rare point in Matthew where he uses the word immediately. Now that word is all over the book of Mark if you read that one. But here he says immediately, just showing you how strong the call of Jesus to these men was. He said, follow me. And there was no choice for those guys but to follow him. They heard the voice of Jesus. They dropped everything, their whole profession, and they went to follow him. Again, I, I'm humored by the fact that, you know, James and, and John, thinking about Zebedee's reaction, like, I got to mend the nets now? <laughs> you know, like, sorry, Dad. The king of heaven is calling us. We're gone. So, uh, yeah, these guys drop everything they, they're doing to follow Jesus. And that moves us into our third point. As they've committed to follow Jesus now into a life of ministry, they're going to experience firsthand what it's like to just sit with Jesus. To, they've repented of their way. They've turned their following the master. And for a period of time, they're just going to be along for the ride as they see what Jesus does as he leads the way for them and he restores the broken. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So with at least four disciples along with him, and we don't know, it might have been 12 at this point, but at least four are along with him. Jesus leads the way. His ministry is in full swing now. So he's going to go throughout all Galilee. According to these footnotes, they tell me that Galilee had about 300,000 people, 200 towns and villages. If you do some quick math, I'm sorry, Greg. <laughs> you do some quick math, 1,500 people per town. It's real, real rural. So we resonate with this group of people that Jesus is going to. And he starts off, it says here, teaching in their synagogues. Now, that's going to be very familiar to them. That looks a lot like what we're doing today. We're opening up God's word. We're proclaiming God's word. We're teaching it in the synagogues. Now, their synagogue was much smaller than this. It actually had um, rows of benches, like stone benches that went from high to low. And they sat in kind of a, a V. And in the middle of this V, the teacher would read from a scroll to the people in the synagogue. And these synagogues are very small, as I think you taught us last week. The synagogues are very small, much smaller than the building that we are in. 
So he's teaching them. He's teaching them from the scrolls of the prophet, explaining the word of God out loud to country people. Not only does he teach, but he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. Can you imagine, I just imagine for a minute, the joy that Jesus felt, the Son of God who has been in heaven for all of eternity, as he gets to look at men and women and say, I've come to save you, and here's what I've come to save you into. That would have been, (laughs) it's an incredible message to imagine just sitting under. Because here you have the eternal representation of the kingdom of heaven here with you as he's telling you about the kingdom of heaven. We don't know what he said, but we do know what he did. So it says next what he went and did. So we can imagine that his message to them where he was proclaiming the kingdom, he got to tell them this kingdom, it has no sin. It has no death. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no evil spirit. No broken body struggling with epilepsy or paralysis. You imagine that message? I mean, that would have gotten me pretty excited, but it would have gotten the skeptics also pretty worked up probably. Prove it, Jesus. So then he goes, watch me. (laughs) As you follow Jesus, he not only proclaims the kingdom of heaven, he does the kingdom of heaven right in front of them. He shows them what it's going to be like as he heals people. Look back at that. It doesn't say that he's capable of healing two out of the 20 diseases in the region. It says he heals every disease. It says he heals every affliction. It says they brought him all the sick. I think these words are chosen for a reason. There's nothing Jesus is incapable of healing. Do you believe that? Like there's nothing physically among us in this room Jesus is not capable of healing. And he proved it to them by healing just tons of people in this small region of Galilee. So what's the result of all these miracles and healings? We see here that popularity finds Jesus. Great crowds come from all over. And when I say all over, I mean they came from the Decapolis, which is across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. They came up from Jerusalem. That was about an 80-mile journey. And I don't think there were any cars. There weren't a whole lot of, I don't think there were horse and buggies either. People are walking 80 miles to go see what Jesus is doing. And I find it fascinating that by following the will of the Lord into Capernaum, when Jesus could have gone to a big city center, that would have made more sense, right? Get the message out to a bigger crowd. But he goes to this small place because he's following the will of the Lord. He's fulfilling Isaiah 9, 1, and 2. And what happens is he goes to this tiny town. People come to see him. Jesus is the main event. He doesn't have to go to a big city that they would consider the main event to get people. He's the son of God. He's going to get them there. They come from beyond the Jordan. That's east. Who who knows how far east into Asia? The point is, Jesus' healings bring great crowds. And this is where we want to turn it from. Look, we've, we've dissected the passage. We've looked at it from the context of the day. But how does this apply to us today? 
Because my question after reading it all, and my question after seeing these four disciples follow Jesus because he called them, and then these great crowds coming to follow Jesus because he did cool stuff. My question for us this morning is, do we come because Jesus calls us, or do we come for the stuff? So as, as we transition to application, let's look back at where we started. We started with Jesus healing our broken way of sin. So I have to ask Outpost Church and those of you that have come as guests today, what is the fruit of our current way of life? If it's been developed in the power of our flesh, our current way is broken. So do we recognize that? Even if we don't recognize it, the fruit of our ways bears witness. So Greg gets to preach next week about the good fruit. Congratulations, Greg. I do not get that privilege today. I get to preach about the bad fruit. If the good fruit that we'll be looking at in the first 17 verses of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, if that is evident in your life, if your life is just full of these incredible, you know, pure in heart, merciful, all these wonderful things, praise God for that in your life. Praise God. Let's look now, though, at the fruit of the flesh. And I'm going to challenge you as we look at this. I want you to do two things today. If you will do two things from this message beyond going and finding the song Relent by Citizens and putting it on your mix, um, two things that I'm asking you to do. Ask yourself, ask the people that are close to you, do any of these fruits of the flesh embody you? So first, again, ask yourself, Be honest with yourself as we go through these. And they're in Galatians 5 if you want to be turning there. Ask yourself, do any of these fruits embody my way of life? Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We're going to take a pause after each one of these. Just consider it. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is critical that we self-reflect. As we just read in that last warning, guys, there are eternal consequences. 
if we don't turn from our sinful ways. Eternal. There is another way, though. Are you perplexed by any of these 15 and things like these that we just read? Have they dogged your way of life? Jesus is calling us to repent. He's not calling us to bring a little Jesus into our way as we keep running the way of the world. The problem is our way. Are we living to make money? Are we striving to control others to make ourselves happy? Are we seeking happiness in things like sexual pleasure, self-image enhancement, the approval of others, or anything that has its root in this world? We must turn from these ways. Guys, the end of these ways is death. The end of these ways is eternal separation from God. None of these ways will be present in the kingdom of heaven. They won't be there. So why should they be present in your life if you have the kingdom of heaven abiding within you? How do we, how do we forsake these ways? We follow Jesus. We repent of our sins. We say we don't want to go this any way, God. We want to go this way. This way follows Jesus. It's not a way that we figure out on our own. His spirit abides in us. It works in us to do his good will. So what does that mean for us today? I know just say, follow Jesus. I have sat in, um, in a seat far more often than I've preached. And I have heard preachers say, follow Jesus. Give up everything. Follow Jesus. And I kind of sit there and squirm. So I'm like, well, I've got a family. I've got a wife and kids. I'm definitely not supposed to leave them to follow Jesus. I've got a job. Um, how do I follow Jesus? I mean, I, I can do my morning time of devotion with him and stuff, but then I've got to go to my job, right? How, how do I follow Jesus when I do that? Well, if you're struggling with that thought yourself, how do I practically do this? I, I'm just going to give you my life for an example. I was called to follow Jesus when I was nine years old. Now, I'm 34 today, so I've been walking with Jesus for almost 25 years. When I was called, I was nine. So again, the call that I was given was not the same call as James and Andrew and John and Simon. I was not at an age where I could go and you know, cover the greater territory of Oneida County in northern Wisconsin, walk into all their synagogues, you know, proclaim the way of Jesus. I was still learning how to tie my own shoes. So at this time, I'm obviously not called to do this like great work of ministry. I'm just called to follow Jesus. And what did that include for me at that time? Well, I needed to submit to my parents' authority, continue in my schoolwork, and practice submitting to Jesus' commands within the context of my surroundings. Next, the Lord led me to an engineering school. And in that time, I was called to follow the Lord's leading. I knew because of the, I, look, I laid out a fleece. I said, God, if I can go to college without getting $10,000 of debt, I'll do it. And he found a way to do that for me through scholarships. So the way the Lord answered my prayer, I knew I was called for the next four and a half years of my life to stick to engineering school and get my degree. 
Now, I will say that I am not a natural engineer. Natural engineers don't talk very well. <laughs> not saying I talk great. <laughs> but trust me, I've been a part of many engineers' public presentations, and they are painful. Painful. So the next four and a half years of my life was, in many ways, painful. But I was called. God called me to follow him in that way. Get that degree. And for what purpose? Look, I wasn't quite sure. I thought I wanted to go into industrial sales. So when I graduated from college, actually, my wife and I were presented with an opportunity there. We were part of a church that we loved. And that church, we had served in it. We'd, we'd served faithfully for the previous two years. And the pastor did reach out to me about a month before I graduated and said, would you consider staying on in full-time ministry as a pastor here? And at that time, that was seriously, I had this urge to do that. I had this urge to teach, tell everyone all the things that I know. But the calling of God wasn't there. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about? The, the calling just wasn't there. I knew, no, I was called to get this degree. I was called to marry Priscilla. I knew that I was called to marry her. And right now, I'm broke. Like, really, really broke. And even though God made a way for me to graduate with less than $10,000 of debt, I still have some. And right now, I'm called to pay that off. And I'm called to go and use this degree to the glory of God wherever I go. So I went and took a job as an industrial fan salesman. And that's what I have done for the last 11 plus years. And uh, I've struggled with this in the last 11 years, especially earlier on. I don't struggle with it so much anymore. My question's for you guys in my life. Has my life been wasted? Am I not following the call of Jesus to follow him in doing what I'm doing? I don't see it that way. The point is, live as you are called. Make the most of your call to follow Jesus wherever you are. If your profession is sin, or it presents temptations that are making it impossible for you not to sin, leave your job. <laughs> there are some professions um, that are just not fit for the follower of Jesus Christ. I think you know what those professions are. Uh, but most of us in Cody, Wyoming, are not serving in a profession like that. The Bible is full of verses telling us that whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, right? Whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. There's verses on servants obeying their masters. In modern times, that looks like employees obeying their managers, right? There are verses on masters treating their bondservants well, not abusing their authority or lording it over them. So if the Bible, if, if Paul's teaching later on in the New Testament, so much of it is towards us. If it was so wrong to be us doing what we're doing, wouldn't all of us have been called out into a ministry field, a full-time ministry field? But we haven't been. And I'm not either. And tomorrow, I'm not planning to quit my job. Right now, the call of the Lord has me where I am. But does that mean I can't follow Jesus where I am? No. He goes with me everywhere I am. If you are called into the ministry, 
like the four disciples in this passage, go. <laughs> That's all I can say. If you hear the call of Jesus in your life, wherever you are, I want you to go. I want you to serve in ministry here. Don't sit and go, oh, should I really do it? Do it. It's Jesus calling you. Go. Finally, as we looked at that third point, Jesus leading the way and restoring the broken, put your faith in Jesus to lead you in the way that he would have you to go. So another thing. He heals a ton of people. He says later in the Gospels, I'm going, and the things that I've done, you will do. So does that mean that as you put your faith in Jesus, you are going to heal every disease and affliction in the Big Horn Basin? Maybe. <laughs> Seriously, maybe. Follow Jesus and find out. Maybe he wants to do a work to display his power in our region for the glory of his kingdom in our current broken world. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if the Lord decided to work in our community, heal a whole bunch of broken people physically, epilepsy, paralytics, that would be an amazing thing for us to witness. And it would be a great testimony to the power of God. I think it would be an incredible blessing, and I do think we should pray for that. I think we're called to in 1 Corinthians 14.1. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So seek it. Seek for the Lord to do that work. But what does Jesus show us in Matthew? He shows us that in the way he lived his life, he put his trust first in God. And we're called to do the same. Put your trust, put your faith first in God and follow where he leads you. There is a finish line coming, church. Yeah. For us, it is going to be one of two things. We're all either going to die, or the day of the Lord's return is going to take us away. So as we look at these final thoughts here, what's Jesus' purpose in the healing that we just read about in Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25? His work was amazing. It made the people that were healed feel amazing. You know, what an incredible experience to see all these people healed of their physical ailments, of their spiritual oppression. That would have been amazing to witness. But I do have a question for us. Where were those people in 100 years? I feel like a real downer sometimes. <laughs> they were healed. That was awesome. But in 100 years, uh, they didn't escape the consequences of sin. Our flesh is dying. And no matter what happens, no matter what miraculous healings take place in our midst, the end result for all of our flesh will be death. So, for those of us in this room that are foolish... For those of us in this room who are wise in our own eyes, if you only come to Jesus for the temporary relief of your current issue, of your current problem, your end goal is only relief and happiness. 
or you're looking for your own affirmation, you're looking for validation of your life, of the way you're doing things, and that's all your goal is, you will ultimately die, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It was clear in Galatians 5.21, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But for those who hear the call of Jesus to repent and humbly submit to his way, the healing is way deeper than the physical healing we read about here in Matthew 4. I want to return to the song that I started with today. I read you the verses, and the verses are definitely, uh, I resonate with a lot of these verses. The chorus is, I relent. There is nothing for me here. You can have it all. This life is not my own. You give life that is worth the loss of mine. I surrender all I am to follow you. That's repentance, church. That's laying down your life for the sake of following Jesus in his. And what do you get for that? You get eternal healing. It's not temporary. It's not physical. It's eternal. Your heart is transformed. It's taken from a broken, dead, hard heart to life, an eternal life with Jesus Christ. You're born again by the Holy Spirit. It becomes alive in you. He transforms your soul. He changes your desires so that you no longer conform to all these terrible desires of the flesh that we read earlier. But you now are transformed in his image and you will live for the king because he has called you. Heaven is alive in your soul. Does anyone just jump at that this morning? Are your souls alive this morning? Have you been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ? And you know, even though you can't see it right now, because you're in the midst of a fallen, broken world, and all you see around you is brokenness. Things are dying every day, but there is life, and there is the kingdom of heaven, and it is alive in this room today. Where is the kingdom of heaven? It's in every one of us that believes in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Do you believe that? Is the kingdom of heaven alive in here? It is alive in here. It's in us. Guys, God said, Jesus said that he would go and he'd destroy the temple and in three days he'd raise it back up. And what was he talking about? He was talking about himself. And he said that the temple would no longer exist in a building. We're not in a temple. The temple is you. Do you know that? That's where the kingdom of heaven is. Sorry, Greg, I didn't want to get that excited. (laughs) His spirit at work in us, it bears witness. And I'll tell you what, as it's at work in you, it's going to bear witness through you as well. You're going to hear all about what that witness looks like next week. Is that exciting to anyone? Let's get into the Sermon on the Mount. This is going to be awesome because we are getting preached to by the king. He gets to show us this way. 
He gets to show us how this way, while it was broken, isn't going to be our story. It's going to be this way as we listen to what he says, as we repent and we follow him. That hope, look, if you're not feeling it in your soul today, if this did not resonate with you in the worship team, you guys can come on up. I always want them to call me when I'm the one leading, so come on up. That hope, if you don't have it this morning, it's available to you. And it's not something that's just, I don't know, God, I don't understand it right now. I'm going to wait till I do. I'm going to wait till you finally reveal it to me, till I finally see, like, that it's worth it to follow you. If you wait, if you tarry till you're better, as we sang in that song, you will never come at all. The call is this morning. The call is now. Repent. The only way to the kingdom of heaven, the only way, as preached by our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, repent and follow him. He'll do the rest.